Well, if only it was that easy, amen? Yeah, some of you guys, you're going to put that on your Christmas list. I got news for you, it ain't coming. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let me encourage you to join me over in Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, we're in a series of messages on marriage. And this is the second part of what we started last week in the arena of communication. Uh, communication in marriage is essential if you're going to have a healthy marriage. And uh, we are finding so often that when couples uh, are engaged and they're getting ready to get married, one of the main things that they seem to have before they say, I do, is uh, really good communication. Uh, I, I do premarital counseling uh, quite often, and uh, as I do this premarital counseling, it seems like uh, the future husband and wife have a, a, a great handle on communication. As a matter of fact, uh, during the engagement stage, I've heard several things. I, I've heard them say something like this. Uh, we, we, just, we just love to be together. I mean, we, we love to be together all the time. I mean, we just want to be by each other's side all the time. And then I, I've heard this. We, we stayed up late, and several times a week we stay up late just talking on the phone and uh, just talk all night long. We just, we've got everything to talk about. We're soulmates. We, we just know how, to, we know how to connect. And uh, in that connection, we just, you know, we, we could just spend all night talking together. Well, and then they get married. And then you put a year, two years, or even three years on that uh, marriage, and uh, you come back together, and there they are in my office again, and, and say, well, what, what's going on? And then I've heard things like this. We just don't understand each other. We, we, just don't, we, just, we just can't seem to talk. I mean, we don't talk anymore. We just can't seem to talk to one another anymore. What happened? That's my question. What happened before you got married and you communicated so well, and now after you got married, you can't seem to communicate at all, what happened to sabotage this great, loving, committed relationship that revolved around communication? Well, that seems to be the mystery of all mysteries in, in marriages today, especially in uh, the arena of Christian marriages. I got good news for you. I can tell you who sabotaged it. It wasn't your husband and it wasn't the wife. As a matter of fact, neither one of you are the enemy. It was the real enemy that sabotaged the marriage. And that enemy is the devil. The devil is the enemy. He hates your life as a Christian if you're a born-again child of God. And he hates your Christian marriage. And it just would be naive to believe that he would just leave your Christian marriage alone. And he'd just leave you alone and go find somebody else. No, listen. He really is going to do everything in his power to discourage you. He's going to do everything in his power to get in the middle of your marriage. He's going to do everything that he can to affect your relationship with your spouse. Remember what the Bible says. John chapter 10 verse 10. That he's a thief and he's coming to steal. He's coming to kill. And he's coming to destroy. He wants to steal your joy in your marriage. He wants to kill the relationship that you have between spouses. And he wants to destroy your life. And if he can do that by wiggling his way in your marriage, then we find that he's done his job. Many a marriages have gone south because we have stopped learning to communicate with each other. Now, this area of communication is something that you'll never arrive at. All right, guys? So you might as well just, uh, husbands, go ahead and put it in there. Listen to me, young men uh, that are planning on getting married one day. You will constantly be learning to communicate. 
Always. Communication is always a problem. We, we experienced a, a communication breakdown this morning at the 815 service. Uh, we talked. We had our pre-meeting before uh, service earlier this week and said that there was going to be a process we need to take care of. And So when I came at the 815 service and asked about the process, and well, I was looked at like a calf looking at a new gate. And what happened? There's communication breakdown. But, but it's okay. Everything went well and everything worked itself out. But the point that I'm trying to make here is in ministry, we're not immune to communication problems. In relationships at work, you're not immune to communication problems. In relationships in your family between moms and dads, you're, listen, you're going to suffer some communication problems. And you're going to suffer some communication problems in your marriage. We must constantly be learning how to communicate with each other. Paul, when he wrote uh, the book of Ephesians, when he's writing to those Christians in Ephesus, he talked about this issue of communication. And in regard to this issue of communication, he uh, gave us some insights into learning how to communicate and continuing to learn how to communicate with each other. So this morning, what I want to do in part two of this series on communication is I want to give you three things that we can do to continue our communication learning in our marriage. What, what are these things? How can we continue to learn to communicate with our spouse? It's found right here in the text. Ephesians chapter number 4, cast your eye to verse number 25. Starting in verse number 25, running all the way down to chapter 5, verse 2, there are three things that I want you to notice in this area. If we're going to communicate with our spouse, there are some things we've got to do. So let me give you the first one. Here's number one this morning, and we'll walk through this passage together. Number one, we've got to eliminate some problems. We've got to eliminate some problems. Every marriage has these little problems. Now, if you, you ask my wife or, or even some of my staff, I don't like to use that word problems. I like to use the word challenges. There's some challenges that we need to use that we need to get uh, uh, associated with and work through, but it uh, didn't, it, it messed up my alliteration. So I'm using the word problems this morning, okay? So uh, we need to eliminate some problems. So what are the problems that we need to eliminate? Paul, can you show us in the Word of God when God was speaking to you and you were writing down this passage? Uh, passage of scripture and you're writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, what are these problems that we need to eliminate? There are three of them. Number one, the first one is some dishonest elements. Dishonest elements. Look at verse number 25. He says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members uh, one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Uh, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands things which are good, uh, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, do you see what Paul said here in the text? He said simply that there's some dishonest elements that we need to get rid of. And the very first one, he says, is this issue of lying. You see it in verse 25. He says, put away lying. You need to lay aside lying. Why? Why should we lay aside lying in the context of our marriage? Here's the reason why. Lies in a marriage are termites of trust. They're termites of trust. You know those little creatures, those little termites that'll get in the wood and they'll absolutely eat it. I mean, they'll eat that thing and eat it and eat it, just completely destroy it. That's what lies are in marriage. 
They are termites of trust. And so when you lie to your mate, these lies become termites, and they eat away at the trust you have with your spouse. And they can be lethal in marriage. Many a marriage have ended in divorce because of the termites of trust. They ate away at that trust because of the lies that produce. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. i got some really bad news. Everybody in this room is a liar. In fact, look at that person beside you and say, you were born a liar. Now, you better be able to back that up. Where's that in Scripture? Well, if you've got your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would write down Psalms 58, verse 3. Psalms 58, 3. In Psalms 58, 3, the Bible says that the wicked are estranged from the womb and they go astray as soon as they're born speaking lies. Now, all of us that have children know this to be true. You can put a child to bed, and you can walk away, and that child be crying. And look, you know that child's got plenty of, of food in his tummy. You know that that child's got a nice, clean bed. You know that that child, there's no problems. The room is perfect temperature. You got blankets. I mean, everything is perfect. The only thing that's, that that child wants is for you to hold them. And so you go over to that crib. You pick them up. They stop crying. You put them down. They start crying. Up, cry. Down, no cry. Cry, no cry. Cry, no cry. What's going on there? That child's lying to you. They're, li- they're born liars. That'll bless your heart. But here's the problem. Is a lot of times when we get saved, and listen, we're redeemed. I mean, God has forgiven us of our sin. But here's something. As the Holy Spirit's been deposited inside of you, you can either walk after the Spirit or you can walk after the flesh. And if you walk after the flesh, watch this, you're still prone to continue to lie. And so what ends up happening in a marriage is these termites of trust are eating away at the relationship. Why? Because of lies. You're a born-again child of God, but you're choosing to walk in the direction of your flesh as opposed to walking in the direction of the Spirit of God. And what Paul is saying here is you've got to eliminate lying. Now here's the question. How in the world do you do that? How do you eliminate lying in a marriage? You both, listen, you both have to commit to honesty. You must commit to honesty. You got to commit to not letting there be any skeletons in the closet and keeping them in there. You got to open up that door and you got to let all the skeletons out. Now, listen, if you're going to do that, there has got to be the proper grace in place in your marriage. Remember, we started this journey when we talked about God's blueprint for marriage. Foundation is God. We said the walls around that thing are God's purposes for marriage. The roof on that house is grace. And we live inside of that. And what lives inside of that is a husband and a wife. And they live in oneness. That's all through the scriptures, oneness. You maintain that oneness by communicating. You communicate with God and you communicate with each other. Now, we know there's all kinds of communication. and There's, all, there, you know, there's verbal, nonverbal. We can just go on and on. I don't have time to do all that. But the fact of the matter is simply this. If you're not communicating then there's going to be a sickness that falls on that house and that home. And when sickness falls on the home, you're going to have to do something to get the sickness cured. Jesus Christ is the only cure for a sick marriage. He's the only one. And so if we want to have healthy marriages, it's got to be founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ as the foundation, as we talked about. And you don't want these termites of trust coming in, eating away at the trust in the relationship. And the way that happens is not committing 
to tell the truth, not committing uh, to be honest with each other. And so what I'm saying here this morning is just simply this. Paul says, if we're going to put away lying, then we've got to commit to honesty. And if we're going to commit to honesty, we've got to have grace for each other. We've got to live underneath that roof of grace so that when we come out with a struggle as a husband or a wife and we tell our spouse that struggle that we're having, there's not condemnation, but there is unity. There's unity in that. A lot of times, the reason why you don't want to be honest with your spouse is because you're afraid of the condemnations that's going to come out of their mouth. According to the Word of God, the Bible says you've got to get rid of this dishonest element. Number two, he also talks about some distasteful elements. There's some distasteful elements we've got to get rid of. Notice verse number 29. <clears throat> he goes on and says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to use for edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Every one of us, as a born-again child of God, is a minister of God's grace. Now, God has called me into full-time Christian service. I'm your pastor. God's called me to be your pastor. It is a joy to serve as, as your pastor. God does not call everybody into the pastorate. We understand that. But God does call us all into the ministry. And as God has called us all into the ministry, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about when you got saved, you became a part of the family of God. That was a call. God called you. You received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. And the commission that God has given all of us, all of us, as, as born-again child of, of children of God, He has commissioned us to be a witness to the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to make disciples. All right? So, in knowing that we're all called, the greatest thing that we minister is in our homes and we minister grace to each other. And that's what he's saying here in the text. He says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of the edifying, that is the building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I'm telling you what, your spouse will listen to you or hear you more than anybody else in the home. And so in knowing that, we ought to be communicating, if you would, things of life and not death. And so what Paul says here, he says, we need to get rid of this corrupt communication. The word corrupt here in the New Testament, uh, it spoke of, uh, they would use it when they were talking about rotten, rotting fish. There is nothing like the smell of rotten fish. It is a disgusting smell. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, when, you're, when your communication with your spouse, that's the application we're using today, with your communication with your spouse, when it is as nasty and foul as rotting fish, that is corrupt communication. Now, here's the question a lot of people ask. What does this look like? Okay, can you give me an example of what this looks like? Well, after you get married and you don't make, if you do not make the proper adjustments that need to happen in marriage, you say, well, I, I'm curious as to what that is. What are that? What are those things? Listen, I don't have time to go back and reiterate what I'm, what I'm talking about on Wednesday nights. If you'll go to the Welcome Center, sign up and get the series, get, get everything that you can on this series of messages, and uh, that, that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, blank will, will be filled in, okay? But there's some adjustments when you got married that you need to make, you needed to make. If you didn't make that, if you did not make those adjustments, then what ends up happening is there's a series of events that will happen in your marriage. Actually, there's three. Number one, the first one uh, is this. You, you start becoming a, a complainer in your marriage. You start complaining about your spouse. Uh, how long are you going to let the dishes stay in the sink? 
I mean, I've been working all day. What have you been doing? And you, you begin to complain. And, and the wife might say, well, listen, are you, are you ever going to cut the grass? I mean, good grief, look at it. It's growing like weeds out there. How long are you going to let the flower bed grow up? Complaining. And then what's, what happens if you don't deal with the complaining, it moves into a second uh, category, if you would, and it becomes criticism. Then you begin to criticize one another. And what does this look like? It, it, criticism looks like this. You begin to say things, uh, innuendos, if you would. You begin to say things that you, you, you normally wouldn't say, but it goes something like this. You, you can't do anything right. Or, or I've heard this when it gets to this stage, criticism. You were always like that. You were always like that. You always acted like that. Uh, here's one. You are so prone to make mistakes like that. You, you see what's happening? There's these small twinges of criticism creeping into your marriage relationship. Why? Well, because you, you never dealt with the core issue. You never dealt with this, these distasteful uh, elements inside the marriage. And now you're becoming critical. You're, you're, you're becoming, uh, you start complaining. You start uh, criticizing. And then, uh, that, then that, leads, uh, that, that leads, if you would, uh, to the next one. Uh, and the next one is uh, that you uh, begin to uh, uh, be contempt. What, what is this? You begin to say things like, like this. You look at your spouse and you'll say, you're just stupid. And you mean it. I mean, it's on your face. And you're communicating it. Or you might say, you're so dumb. Or, or how about this? How can you be so ugly? Oh, here's one that I've heard through the years. You just need to get your act together. You see what's happening is these verbal assaults are coming out. These are, or listen, these are some problems that we need to eliminate in our marriage. You know, we treat strangers better than we treat our spouse. And so we need to get rid of these things is what he's saying here. He says, listen, th there are some dishonest elements. There's some distasteful elements that we need to get rid of. And then he says a third thing. Watch this. He says there's some dangerous elements that we need to get rid of. Those are found in verse number 31 in the text. In verse number 31, he lists six dangerous elements that if not corrected in your relationship with your spouse, it will lead to divorce. As a matter of fact, when we read the book of Ephesians, that's where Paul's going. He's moving into husband and wife relationships at the end of chapter 5. And so the context is, if you'll notice, in, in chapter 4, he begins with oneness. You're one in Jesus Christ. And he's going to take that oneness, and he's going to slowly make his way to husband and wife relationships. But every principle that he's using in the context of oneness can be applied in your marriage relationship. And so what he's saying here is that there are some dangerous elements in verse 31 that you've got to make sure you get rid of or it's going to affect the relationship that you have with your spouse, in particular in the arena of communication. What is it? Number one, bitterness. You see it in verse 31? He says, put it away. Put away all bitterness. What's bitterness? Bitterness is anger that's been turned inward. It's referring to a root of bitterness that can form in your heart because you never dealt with any anger that you, that you felt 
at the beginning of the marriage. There have been many marriages that have ended in divorce because of bitterness. I know what bitterness is firsthand. I experienced bitterness uh, when, I, when I was growing up between the ages of 12 and 23. I wanted to know what my problem was. Why didn't I look like my dad? Why didn't I talk like my dad? What was my, I didn't look like my brother. I mean, I just really had some real... I had some real issues that I was inquiring about, and I was always told the same thing, Shane. You just look like your mother's side of the family. And many of you, if you haven't got my testimony, let me encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center. It's free. Pick up my testimony. I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. But the bottom line is this. I, got, I became very bitter. I wanted to quit the ministry. I wanted to leave the ministry. At 23, my mother told me the truth, and I found out that all my family, everybody in my family knew, they all knew, they all knew, that my mother, when she was 15 years old and gave birth to me, that uh, a gentleman in the community by the name of Mark Osborne, he, he, was, he was my biological father. And I'm going to tell you what, it does something to you. When you're 23 years old and that finally comes out, and you then realize that your four-year younger brother knew when he was 14 years of age, when I was 12 years old asking, they didn't say a word to me, but when he turned 14, they decided to tell him, they didn't decide to tell me. And the only reason they told me, listen to this, the only reason they told me is because if something went wrong when Alyssa was born, they wanted to make sure that I knew the history of my family. I'm just bitter, man. I was so bitter, 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 bitter. And then God spoke to my heart and said, listen, Shane, if you're going to get any victory in this, you've got to forgive them. And one by one, I asked my family to forgive me. You see, forgiveness, forgiveness wasn't for them. Forgiveness was for me. It was for me. And so what is the cure for bitterness? Forgiveness. Uh, you want to have a healthy marriage, then you need to forgive your spouse. Forgive your spouse for the bitterness that you're holding inside your heart. Number two, the second thing he talks about is wrath. What is wrath? He says you need to do away with wrath. What is this? Wrath is where we get our English word thermo. Thermo, like a thermonuclear war. He's referring to this, this explosiveness that comes and the heat that comes off of that when you're, uh, when you're angry. It's called wrath. He says you need to put that away. You need to get rid of that. Uh, there are some marriages that the one who blows up the quickest, that's the person who wins the battle. That doesn't do anything but teach a next generation uh, how to live a defeated life. Number three, anger. Anger. What does this anger mean? This word anger in the Greek is talking about a thermometer, a rising anger. He's referring to somebody that bottles, 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 and then what happens? Boom! They explode. You see, you can be angry. The Bible even says it here in the text. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. You can be angry, you just don't need to sin. That is, there needs to be a righteous indignation. There are going to be some things that stir you up. I shared with our men on Wednesday night. I, I said, listen, there was a thing that happened in my marriage that absolutely stirred me up. It stirred me up to the point where they ended up arresting a guy uh, because of what he was attempting to do in my marriage. Now, I'm telling you, there's some things we ought to get stirred up about. But here's the thing. My wife was not the enemy. The enemy was the devil that tried to attack my marriage. And so really what we need to do is we need to face the enemy and we need to be doing battle with the enemy instead of doing battle with each other. Okay, he goes, uh, here we are. This, uh, Where am I at? Bless God, well, number four, clamor. What does it mean, clamor? Clamor is, is loud speaking. Clamor is that there's some families, there's some marriages that whoever, whichever spouse talks and yells the loudest, they're the winner of the argument. What does that accomplish? Nothing but a sore throat, I promise. 
He says you need to get rid of that. And then he, he mentions evil speaking. What is this? Evil speaking is injurious speech. It's communicating or an attempt to hurt your spouse with your words. Hurt them with your words. This happens when we talk down to our spouse, when we say hurtful things to our spouse, when we have words that wound our spouse. We must be careful when we're speaking in anger. We will say things we'd never say otherwise. And then the last thing he says is malice. He says, you got to get rid of malice. You see that there? Malice is wickedness that is produced from all of these things where you get to the point where you are not afraid to break the law. You will break the law and you will hurt somebody and injure somebody very, very bad. This happens in marriages all the time. You see it on TV. You see where cops are called out because something has happened. What has happened? Malice has happened. There's been a malice, a malicious attack. On a spouse. Why? Because they did not deal with the dangerous elements in their marriage. And so if we're going to communicate, we're going to continue to communicate healthy to one another, then we've got to eliminate these problems. Number two. Let me show you a second thing about this text. Not only do we need to uh, uh, eliminate some problems, we also need to integrate some principles. Integrate some principles. What I mean by that is we need to de- make sure that we, when we read the Scripture, we deposit some principles into our lives, but not for the sake of gaining interest. We deposit them into our lives so that we can write checks and send the money out or send, the, send the, uh, this, this attribute out to our spouse. So we deposit it by digestion, read the Word of God. It comes inside where the Holy Spirit dwells, and then we integrate it. We, we make this thing a part of our lives, and then we distribute it. So what is it? Let me, let me give you a, an example here in the text. Uh, notice what the Bible says uh, there in verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying, that uh, you may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God where you were sealed unto the day of redemption. What's he referring to here in this passage of Scripture? He's telling us that we need to do good, we're to do good and to use good for the edification, if you would, as we minister grace. That's good to read in theory, but how do you apply it in your heart? How do you receive that? The way that you receive that means that it's much more than words. There's some actions that need to be attributed to this. And when you read this passage of Scripture, that when it says there, uh, which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, he's referring to this fact that you need to put in practice speaking kind words to your spouse. Speak kind words. Don't uh, wait for your spouse to say, uh, does this dress look good on me? Just go ahead and tell her it looks good on you. That looks good on you, honey. I like your those. I like those new shoes. Mim's got some new flip flops on today. She bought some new flip flops. They look like she's walking on corkboard. It's pretty cool. I like it. They're neat. I like those shoes. Uh, Johnny Hunt. Uh, I heard him say he takes his wife out to dinner, and when he goes, when he bows his head to pray, uh, he he'll just say something like this. He said he'll say, "Dear God." Do you see how hot my wife looks tonight? I can't believe that she would go out with me. She is such a hot mama. Thank you for letting her go. And he prayed. That's his prayer. And the whole time, you know, Janet, she's, got the, the, she's putting it over her head as, as he's praying. What's he doing? He's trying to be encouraging to his wife. So 
If we're going to integrate some principles in our marriage, what are, what, what's kind of the guidelines to this? Let me give you four very quickly. Number one, the first one is attack the problem and not the person. If you're going to integrate some biblical principles in your marriage, then you must attack the problem and not the person. Uh, I like to use the illustration here uh, between horses and donkeys. We use this, uh, uh, we talked about this a couple of days ago in our staff meeting. Uh, how donkeys respond to threats that come against them. If you've got a herd of, of, of donkeys and, and a threat comes against them, what those donkeys do is they form a circle with their heads facing the enemy. And what happens is they begin to kick. Here's the problem. When donkeys begin to kick, who are they kicking? The enemy? No. They're kicking themselves. Donkeys kick themselves when there's a threat coming against their group. That's vastly different than horses. When horses have a threat that comes against them, the horses put their heads together and they kick the enemy. That's how we need to handle our marriage relationships. We need to be putting our heads together and kicking against the enemy. We need to attack the problem and not the person. The Bible puts it this way in Matthew chapter 12. The scripture tells us in verse number 25 of Matthew 12, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. So if we talk about marriage and healthy marriages being a house on the foundation of Jesus Christ with walls and a roof, then the Bible says if there's not unity in that house, that house still can't stand. Why? Because it's divided against each other. And so the scripture is telling us one of the reasons why it's divided against each other is because we attack the person instead of attacking the problem. Number two. The second thing I want you to notice is we are to fix the problem and not the blame. Fix the problem and not the blame. Don't always be looking for uh, blame to place on your spouse. Well, it's your fault because you did this. Well, it's your fault because you did that. No, let each spouse have an opportunity to express themselves. You both are valuable members in this relationship, and you both have something that needs to be said. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 tells us that we ought not trust in ourselves, but we need to be putting our trust in the Lord. Let Him direct the path. It's not our responsibility to place the blame. Number three, learn to keep it private, not public. This is a principle that we need to integrate in our marriages to have healthy relationships and healthy communication. Uh, we find that by keeping it uh, private and not public, that means that you shouldn't air your dirty laundry at work. I used to work at uh, Advanced Auto Parts. I was in the distribution center in Atala, Alabama. had a great job. I worked uh, the first shift. I'd come in. I was a utility person. Man, I got to do all kind of stuff. Cherry pickers, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, forklifts, uh, a battery, those little batteries. I mean, I got to drive all kind of little stuff. I loved it. It was something new every single day. But here's one of the things that discouraged me the most at that job. For, first of all, it wasn't a discouragement uh, that I was called the preacher. They called me the preacher. They knew I was studying. I was in ministry. I was in Bible college. And they called me the preacher. So any problem that occurred, it was preacher. Come here. Can you, can you talk? to me for a minute. But here's the saddest thing that I saw. I saw about four marriages go through this. There'd be a disagreement between a husband and wife. At 7 o'clock when we clocked in, they were already, we were already lining up at the time clock, ready to clock in. And as we were clocking in, I could already hear a man and a woman who were not married. They worked in the same department. And she was sharing the difficulties that she was having in marriage, in her married relationship. And the man was being very sympathetic towards her. 
And it happened time and time and time and time again. They took their private matters of home and they brought them into the public workplace. And they begin to share and air their dirty laundry. I promise you, when you do that, you will find somebody that will sympathize with you. And really, we don't need sympathy from anybody else. What we need is empathy from our spouse. And in order to get empathy from our spouse and have be empathetic towards one another, we've got to be in a proper relationship with God. I'm telling you, if we want our marriages to work, we need to keep the private matters private. And don't expose them to public then. Uh, what the, the Bible, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Uh, it, you can look that up maybe a little bit later when you get home. That's a good verse for that point, that principle. And then here's the fourth one. Learn that when you bring it out, pray it up. When you bring it out, pray it up. There is eventually, there's going to be some challenges in your marriage. You're going to have to communicate the challenges, the problems that exist in the relationship. It doesn't mean your marriage is unhealthy. There's just some problems there that are going to need to come about and they're going to need to to talk about. But if you're going to bring those out, you ought to pray about them. Psalm 17, verse 6, I called on you, my God, for you answered me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. You need to integrate some principles. There's many more. I only had time to give you four. Let me give you the third point here we find in this text. We see that if we're going to continue to communicate with our spouses, then we've got to eliminate some problems. We've got to integrate some principles. But here's the third one. We need to appropriate some promises. We need to appropriate some promises. What I mean by appropriate, I mean is there's some promises we need to flesh out. We need to flesh out some promises from the Word of God that will help our marriages. Uh, Notice what the Bible says in verse number 30. He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you uh, with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and had given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In this passage of Scripture, we see the work and the precious promises of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three things need to be appropriated in our lives. They need to be fleshed out in the relationship that we have with our spouse. Let me show them to you very quickly if I could. Number one, the first thing is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Did you see him in verse 30? What did he say in verse 30? Grieve not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is grieved. By the way, that word grieve there means to make sorrowful. The Holy Spirit is sorrowful. The Holy Spirit is saddened. The Holy Spirit is offended. When God the Holy Spirit is is, uh, gone against... Now, how do you go against the Holy Spirit in a marriage? When Jesus Christ saved your soul and God deposited the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the power of God to forgive. And when you don't forgive, you choose to go the way of the world. And when you go to the way of the world, it saddens the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because you're choosing to go the way of the world, the way of the flesh, instead of the way of the Spirit. And so he says here in the text, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the unseen guest in your marriage. You mean to tell me that we've got a A marriage that was made before God himself. I mean, God made this marriage. He brought you two together. And as he brought you two together, you guys can't forgive each other. 
And fault is placed on fault, is placed on fault, and placed on fault, 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 until the relationship is so toxic and there's irreconcilable differences and you walk away from the relationship and you end up separating and divorcing because of irreconcilable differences. Listen to me very carefully. God would rather us forgive one another and move forward. So you don't know the hurt that's been in my marriage. Well, you're right. I don't. But do we really know the hurt we caused Jesus Christ with our sin? Now, uh, need I bring balance to this? The scripture is not saying that we need to stay in an abusive relationship. I think I've made that clear every message that I've preached. It seems that when I preach on marriage, there's a tendency for people to walk away and look at it as a blanket. I mean, just a blank, you know, this is boom, 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 this is the way it is. Listen to me. The principles of God never change, just like the principles of Sunday school. We know, according to the Word of God, how to grow a healthy Sunday school. And if you'll work these principles, then you will grow a healthy Sunday school. Same thing in a marriage. These principles are true. And if you work the principles, you will have a healthy marriage. But listen to me. There are those individuals that, that have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for whatever reason, listen, they have rejected the Holy Spirit. They've rejected Jesus Christ. They've quenched the Spirit of God. They're lost. They're dying. They're on their way to hell. And they abuse their mate. Don't. Stay in that relationship. Get out. If you're being abused, get out. And so we find here in the text, he's telling us the general principles of healthy relationships, in particular in communication, is to understand that the presence of the Holy Spirit is residing in a husband and wife's relationship that are born again saved and that you can get along. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of both of you. Number two, he talks about the power of God the Father. The power of God the Father. Look at verse 32. He tells us here in the text, he says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He simply tells us here in the text that the power of God the Father is this area of forgiveness. You can forgive one another. And then number three, the third thing and the final thing he says is the love of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in chapter 5 verse 2. He says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Where did the love come from? Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a life of love. So too we need to live a life of love towards our spouse uh, the power of the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, we find that Jesus spoke the language of love as he went to Calvary's cross and died for our sins. So we must allow the Spirit of God to work in our marriage. We must allow God the Father to work in our marriage. And we must allow the Son to work in our marriage. And in doing so, uh, we will have healthy communication in our relationship. There was a lady that was going to a Christian counselor, and she went to this counselor, and she just simply said, uh, I'm, I'm divorcing my husband. I'm sick of him. But he, here's the thing. Not only do I want to divorce him, I want to destroy him. I want to destroy him. I mean, I just want to, I want to rake him up. I want to take him for all he's worth. And the counselor who was a, Christ, a Christian said, oh, you do? She said, yeah, that's what I want to do. He said, I'm going to tell you how to do that. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and uh, I want you to just act as if everything is fine. Everything is okay. 
And I want you to cook him a nice meal. And I want you to treat him well. And I, I, I mean, I want you just to be there. Tell him, to, tell him that, uh, that, that, that he means the world to you. T- tell him that he's your hero. And I mean mean it with all your heart. I mean, I want you to live for two weeks like you really love him. And that if he was the perfect mate, what you would do for him. And then after those two weeks when the timing's right, you hit him with both barrels and tell him that you're, you're divorcing him. She said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. I'll do it. So she went home and she started treating him like she loved him from day one. I mean, she cooked for him. She cleaned for him. I mean, she treated him like the king of the castle. Finally, after two weeks, when two weeks had passed, the counselor never heard a word. The phone didn't ring. Then two weeks turned to three weeks, three weeks to four weeks, four weeks to five weeks. And finally, after a few months, the counselor picked up the phone and called the lady and said, Are you about ready for that divorce yet? To which she said, What divorce? I married the most wonderful man in all the world. Who in the world would want to divorce him? Here's the question. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. She had a paradigm shift. Even though it was mischievous and deceitful, the counselor told her, live like you want to live. Or live like you should live under the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And in doing so, she treated him with respect. And in turn, that respect affected his communication the way he treated her. Really, the bottom line in the arena of communication is your reactions are showing. You know, it's more about how you react than what you say. It really is. And there have been many, many marriages that have ended over the way that we reacted as opposed to the way we treat and love our spouse. Dear friend, the Bible says this, Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you and your spouse sat down and just had a good talk? I mean, not one that ended in an argument, not one that ended in a fuss or a fight, but one that ended in happiness and peace. I hope that sometime this week, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll sit down with your spouse and you'll have that kind of little talk. In the meantime, why don't you work on putting away some of these things? That God may bless your home instead of picking fights with each other. Let's bow for prayer. Every survey that's done in the arena of marriage says that the number one problem is communication. And one of the reasons why we don't communicate well with each other is because we've stopped learning how to communicate. Dear friend, you may be here this morning and maybe you have forgotten or maybe you have stopped communicating with your spouse. Maybe you've just shut down. You don't talk to him anymore. You don't talk to her anymore. And really the problem is is there's sin. There's bitterness. There's wrath, there may be anger, maybe there's clamor, maybe there's evil speaking. I hope to God that it hasn't turned into malice. But maybe you're here this morning, 
And maybe there's some real problems that you need to eliminate. Dear friend, would you, right where you're sitting, say, It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh God. I'm the one that stands in need of this. Why don't you call out to God and ask Him to forgive you of your complaining, your criticism, or even your contempt? Why don't you ask God to forgive you of your bitterness, your wrath, your anger, whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about. And why don't you do this, dear friend? Wives, why don't you reach over there and grab that husband's hand and whisper in his ear, can we just pray together? Why don't you come take advantage of this good old-fashioned altar and just spend some time asking God to help your communication, to strengthen it. To help implement some problem or some principles that you might see. And then for some of you this morning, the challenge is appropriating the promises. And the reason why it's a challenge is because you've never been saved. If you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ as Savior, then right where you're sitting, why don't you cry out to God and say, Dear God, please forgive me. I believe that you're the Messiah. Forgive me of my sin. The reason why I'm a bad communicator is because I'm not a Christian. Save my soul. In Jesus' name. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you prayed a little prayer like that the best that you could. I sure would like to pray for you today. If that's you and you prayed that little prayer the best that you knew how and you got saved today, would you just lift your hand up? I'm the only one looking. I got, I got a couple of counselors here to help me see. But if you're here and you prayed and got saved today, would you just lift your hand up nice and high? I just want to thank God for that decision you made. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're born again. But there are some challenges that you're experiencing in your marriage. I want you to understand, church, you're in a safe place. Man, if we can't be safe here with our spouse, then where can we be safe? Nobody's here to judge you. We're here to just look at ourselves and let the mirror of God's Word reflect what the Word of God sees. And So, dear friend, if you're here and you need to spend some time in the altar, please don't wait to the second or third verse. Why don't you come do business with God? Right on that first verse. Right on that first verse, come do business. Maybe you need to join our church. Come see a counselor. Maybe you need to surrender for baptism. Come see a counselor. Whatever your need, would you do business with God, Father? In the name of Jesus, this is the message you've laid on our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd speak. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, as we